Welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate, the podcast about all things real estate, all things local, and all things life, where we hope to inform, entertain, and inspire. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to episode 13 of Putting the Real in Real Estate. I'm your host, Glenn Hawkersmith. And as always, I want to thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. And as I always like to say, time is our most precious and valuable commodity. So I'm not going to waste any of yours today. I just want to thank you for listening or watching. We have a great guest today. His name is Tony Williams. He's with Interlink Mortgage, and he is also a former professional athlete, standout at University of Louisville, and played ball for several years overseas. So out of respect for your time, we're going to get right to today's interview. I hope you enjoy it. All right, today's guest is a Louisville native and former University of Louisville men's basketball standout who also played 10 years of professional ball overseas. After his playing career ended, he became a teacher for students with learning and behavioral disorders and head basketball coach at his alma mater, Louisville Doss High School. Tony's now a loan officer at Interlink Mortgage and works tirelessly to give back to his community through different organizations to provide mentorship, free sports, lunches, education clinics, and school supplies for our youth. Tony is also co-founder and CEO of Former Athletes Now!, and last but certainly not least, he's husband to Tiffany and father to Simba and Skylar, his son and daughter. Tony Williams, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Glenn. Thanks so, thanks so much for having me. Well, I appreciate you joining us today. Um, Tony, I think most people know you around here from your time in a Cardinal uniform, and we're definitely going to talk about that. But you've been blessed with quite an interesting life outside your time at Louisville, so Let's talk about what it was like growing up in the city of Louisville, how your life and, and perspective changed once you left the States to play ball in Turkey, France, Italy, and Lebanon. I think I've got that correct. And then how all of those experiences kind of shaped who you are today. Sure, sure. So um, pretty much grew up um, moving around until I was about six or seven years old and then settled in the West End of Louisville. My mom's a single mom. My brother and I, we were we were her joy, and um, she pretty much chose to uh, work at home and own her own business, which was making jewelry, so that she could spend time with us and um, and raise us and, and still provide for us. Uh, so um, that's kind of you know how how I saw life as it began. I would often wake up at 6 a.m. and uh, go down in the basement and help her uh, shine up some brass jewelry or bead some things or just do whatever she needed so that we could. Uh, uh, be ready when she went out to beauty shops to sell her jewelry. And then, um, you know, going outside and hanging out, one passion that I found um, was basketball. And obviously having an uncle, Keith Williams, that played uh, 10 years prior to when I played, um, you know, I would watch him. I would hear a lot of people say that we looked alike and he's my mom's baby brother. So naturally, I kind of wanted to be like him, uh, seeing him on TV, seeing him play for um Hall of Fame coach, my former coach, Denny Crum, uh, with some awesome teammates, LeBradford Smith, uh, Purvis Ellison Felton, some of those guys, uh, Everett Sullivan, you know, it was always uh, a treat to, you know, see the Cardinals come on, see a family member, and then go outside and try to emulate uh, some of those activities. So that's kind of how it started. It's kind of how I found my passion. Um, a lot of times my relief and my getaway was getting outside. 
uh, getting outside the house and, and just really, I spent, you know, multiple hours just out playing, you know, playing in the dirt, playing in friends' backyards, walking to, you know, Shawnee Park, walking to, you know, any other parks that I could find where people were playing and just fell in love with the game. So um, that's kind of how it began for me. Life wasn't easy. Life was hard. My mom didn't sell any jewelry in those beauty shops. We didn't eat. Um, So it was we had our fingers crossed every time she went out. And I would always, you know, try to encourage her. And she's a. She's a great woman, and I, I owe a lot to her. And just um, you know, that's 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 kind of what is my what my foundation is based on. Absolutely, and it sounds like you had uh, some pretty good examples set for you at an early age with your mom showing her her dedication to her family and going out there and hustling and and earning a living on her own. And your uncle Keith, who you who you mentioned, who I used to watch on TV when I was a kid. That was kind of back in the in the golden days of of uh, when I was coming up watching watching the Cardinals, so that's a good thing to have. And you know, obviously, you went on to go to school at the University of Louisville and play basketball, and we're gonna get kind of get back to that. But after your time at at Louisville, you went to play professional ball overseas, and if I understand right, that was kind of right after nine eleven, and sure. I think your first stop was. Izmir, Turkey. Okay. So, so what was that experience like? Uh, it was very scary, you know, um, playing college ball, obviously we weren't being paid. So with a professional contract on the line and first chance to actually make some money uh, doing what I love, it was, it was very scary. You know, I remember waking up one day and just hearing about nine 11 and things like that. And then having to make a choice to, you know, just kind of honor, you know, what, you know, I was presented and follow my passion. And uh, I decided to go forward with it and it paid off tremendously. So at that time, I'm guessing you were, you were a single guy, right? Yeah, I was single. Um, I was still kind of running a little bit wild from my college days and thought Louisville was the only place on earth. And little did I know that the world was so huge. The world is so huge. And there are many other places out in the world, many other cultures, many other uh, ways of life besides what I've known growing up here in Louisville. Yeah, I imagine it was a bit a bit scary being a single guy, just kind of going out on your own, taking off to uh, not only another country, but, a, you know, a country in Turkey that's uh, mostly Muslim country and just a complete, complete culture shock, I would, I would imagine. So... I'm sure you learned very quickly, probably some life lessons that you weren't exposed to here. Sure, sure. First lesson was getting off the airplane and uh, exchanging whatever dollars that I had into, which then they had lira. So exchanging my dollars into lira and getting a big wad of cash with millions and hundred thousands on it. realizing that it amounts up to, you know, those millions and hundred cash uh, bills amounted up to, you know, five and six bucks. Um, And then second lesson is hopping in a taxi cab and finding a driver that may speak a little English, but wants to take you on a long ride, right? Um, (laughs) Because you're American and they know that you've just exchanged your dollars. You're a brand new Turkish millionaire. Currency. (laughs) And um, so they, they, they would, uh, they would find ways 
to not understand so that they can take you the long route to wherever it is you wanted to go. So that was, that was lesson number two. <laughs> Le- sure. Third lesson was grocery shopping, trying to figure out what matches up with what I like and how to figure out what was what, namely milk, you know, going in and seeing something in a white container in the grocery store, you know, we were used to just getting milk, you know, 2% or regular milk, go in their grocery store, you see that white container, that's probably not milk. Um, and it tastes a little sour. And then the meat, um, looking for hamburger meat. It's not hamburger meat. It's something different. So trying to figure out what it is that's safe to eat that's <laughs> similar to what I, that I was used to, uh, that was my, my third challenge. I had to kind of learn to like yogurt too, I bet. That, that's that sour thing that I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I thought it was milk. Took a big swig and um, spit it out. It's, that's not milk. <laughs> Yeah, so I've heard I've heard a lot of stories about professional ball overseas. I, you know, I think some of the the leagues are different than others. Some of them take care of you a little better than others. So, what was your experience in that regard? I don't know how long you were in Turkey, and then you know how how things played out after that. Well, I'll say this: my first team, Izmir, they still owe me about twenty six thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, I don't ever count on getting that money back, but um, according to my contract. And um, the way things happen, they owe me about 26 grand. And I had to make a couple of choices whether to, you know, come on home since they stopped paying me uh, certain times in the season. You know, I'm a rookie. I don't have any experience. I don't have any film to show anyone else. So it's kind of take it or leave, leave it. It's a third world country. Um, they're not, they don't have laws like we do that enforce um, contracts, especially for Americans during 9-11. Sure. Um, so I was kind of at their mercy. And I had to make a choice whether to continue uh, playing so that I could get my film so that I could show my stats and, and take it somewhere else for a contract. And, um, the decision to stay and fight through it and accept, you know, kind of what they were throwing at me just to get a full year under my belt paid off. Uh, my next year I was offered, uh, a nice contract in, uh, Italy, uh, Reggio Calabria, where I spent uh, four years total and had an amazing experience, uh, down the South, close to Sicily, learned some new cultures there. And um, that just kind of opened my eyes up to, okay, that's Turkey, this is Italy, and then I wanted to do more. So that led to France, that led to, you know, back to Italy again, and, and eventually Lebanon and, and some other places that I've been to. So you got a real nice education over that 10 years that you were over there playing ball, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I call it growth. I call it growth. Yeah. I realize, again, that Louisville is just a small dot in this world, and there are many mesh of cultures that... Um, many of them would die for some of the things that we, we sometimes take for granted. Um, you know, like the SUVs, you know, I think, uh, at the time we were really getting into America was really getting into those supersized SUVs. And then you, you go over there and they're in Fiat's and really small cars that take, um, what, what we would put in a gallon of gas, they pay more for a liter of gas and realizing that, wow, you know, we really got it good, you know, over in the States. Um, it was really uh, an eye opener for me, and they're a lot closer to the source of that <laughs> that fuel over there too. So that kind of demonstrates and made right. me understand some of the things that we do and how we've um, pretty much put our influence and used our power to kind of get what we want, uh, namely with oil and some of the other resources that we that we take advantage of. Sure, and I I believe I read a story. Um, somewhere, an interview that you had done, and you had talked about a bombing that had happened. I think it was outside of a, of a hotel you were staying at. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that was in the latter part of my career. Um, when I was married, my son was a, a, a real newborn. I mean, he was two to three months old. Um, I had received a, one of my final contracts uh, before I ended my career to Lebanon, and it was sweet. Um, but uh, I had to make a choice then, you know, uh, my path to practice, you know, being in Lebanon, that's one of the only countries I've been to that uh, equally uh, split Christians and Muslims and they live in peace. You know, well, I use that term lightly, but a lot of their rifts are political. So they don't really have uh, gang violence. They don't really just, you know, rob you out in the streets. But when they when they do something, it's to make a, it's to make a political statement. And the path that I I took and my team took to go to practice every day, uh, one morning I took that path and I just saw a, a, a bus and it was you know it was taped up and it was it was uh, charbroiled and um, it was a bombing that had happened the day before um, when I had a day off, uh, but it just really put things in perspective once again, especially my first child you know wife, and um, bringing them making a decision to keep them with me. So that led me to to make the decision to send them home. So, um, and that kind of changed some things in my marriage, uh, a very new marriage, new kid, and, um, and a wife that's a little bit younger than I am. Um, so that changed the dynamics of my relationship with my wife when my whole goal was to stick together the entire time. So there's another life-changing, uh, eye-opening experience. Sure. And, uh, you know, we all see that type of thing on TV, and it, it, it seems like it's a, you know, a different world, but you got the experience at firsthand and, uh, see what it's like to actually have that in your own backyard. And you mentioned, you know, you, you were newly married and, and had young children. So it, talk about that a little bit. Did, did you meet your wife here in the States or did you meet her while you were overseas? Well, my wife is actually Canadian. Okay. Um, she's from Toronto. So um, I was uh, I was in France at the time, roomating with my cousin who actually had a contract in uh, Le Havre, uh, France, and um, I was one of those that was, I was training for my previous contract, waiting on my contract to come. And my agent suggested, since I have a family member that's over there with a contract, the best thing to do is go over there and stay with him, train so you're ready, they can see you, and you'd be get a contract quicker. Um, it ended up working, but he was doing his MSN chat uh, with uh, a, a lady friend of his at the time. And I saw a picture of my wife, you know, you know, in the background. And I asked him and the lady that he was speaking with, you know, just busted in the room, you know, who's that? And um, a couple of days later, you know, I didn't think anything of it, but they were doing the chat again. And she had, you know, my now wife in the room in the chat in Toronto. And uh, we went and did our own chat. And it was pretty much a, a, a perfect, uh, a perfect match. Love at first chat, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> so, okay. You, you, you spend 10 years overseas, your family comes back They're They're away from you. Is that kind of what made the decision for you that, Hey, it's time to, it's time to hang it up and get back home. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I, you know, I was in the back of my mind, I was, you know, I was one of those when I grew up, I hated when the teacher uh, would say, well, what are you going to do without basketball? You know, well, you need to have a plan B. And I would always just in my mind, I'd be like, just be quiet, please. Can I, can I, you know, have a passion and go forward? But towards the end of my career, I started hearing those, those voices in my head saying, you know what, they were right, you know, maybe a little premature, or maybe I wasn't ready to hear that at the time, you know, follow my passion. 
but they were right. You know, what is my next move? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? I can't play forever. Taking a, a 10 year beating overseas with, you know, less technology and less, um, you know, good equipment, like what we have here, what, what I was used to playing on a, a thick wooden floor, freedom hall, you know, with, preserve my career a little bit, but they didn't have it over there. I played on, on concrete in many situations, you know, I practice in the cold on concrete. So that took a toll on my body. So, you know, having a wife, having a kid, um, and just starting thinking about plan B, you know, feeling my bones, you know, on rainy days, a little bit more than others. Um, you know, not having any major injuries through 10 years, you know, I pretty much said, I want to, I want to be able to walk for the rest of my life. I don't want to play until something happens to where, I, I'm, I'm out, you know, permanently, you know, I have a permanent damage from this. Sure. And so I started thinking about a plan B and naturally I wanted to fall right into coaching. You know, I had a, I had a dream of just, you know, some kind of way making it back to the university of Louisville and joining the staff and really finishing out my life like that. And, uh, got back and just got into training kids and, and really wanted to give back to the youth and um, that's when I got up with Ellis Miles and he and I went out door knocking for sponsorships for his, his organization, Louisville Magic. And, um, you know, we had kids such as Quentin Snyder. We had D'Angelo Russell. We had some other uh, awesome um, kids that turned out to be uh, really good players. And um, that really jump started, you know, what led to me um, taking my first job at St. Francis as a head coach, private school. Um, really, really good school for kids, but not necessarily known for uh, athletics or basketball. Sure. And then um, having a really good season for them, uh, just a record, um, you know, things that they hadn't really done before as, as, as a school and then leading to Doss High School to where, you know, myself and other great players such, such as Derek Anderson and, and my cousin that I mentioned had the pro contract, David Harrison and many other great um, basketball players and even coach Terrence Mormon, um, he's been a friend of the family. He's a great player, played college basketball. He pretty much recruited, recruited me and uh, just wanted to follow those footsteps. So when I got that chance to, to head coach at Doss, you know, I, I jumped all over it. And that kind of that kind of sped me up to a few years back to where we went to the state championship in 2016. So a lot of great memories, a lot of great, great opportunities. A little humble brag there. Yeah, I, mean, I, love, I, love, I love my Doss Dragons, always will. Well, that's, I, I'm sure that's a, a dream for a lot of athletes to be able to return to where they went to school and, and, and lead the program. And something you said a few minutes ago, I got to get back to, uh, I just keep thinking of Ellis Miles knocking on my door asking for a donation. Uh, I'm, I'm going to probably give him that donation. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying and, uh, no to Ellis Miles. <laughs> well, Ella and anybody that knows Ellis knows that um, he's not shy. Um, he's uh, he's pretty sure about what he wants, and um, still to this day, he runs a really awesome Louisville Magic program, um, and he's done a great job with many other kids after I after I went my way, and uh, he's still after it right now. So uh, salute to Ellis. Um, he he was one of the younger guys when I was leaving U of L that I kind of you know, would, would gravitate towards, you know, and just kind of try to show him the ropes after some of the things that I had learned. So I'll tell you, he's, he's, he's still one of my all time favorites, just seeing where, where he started and where he ended up in his career at, at Louisville and after. And, uh, that's what I think is so cool about this place is people come from all over, 
I think Ellis came from, he was from Compton, right? Is that correct? Yeah, he's from Compton. Yeah, and uh, wow. he stayed, and he's making yeah. an impact. 100%. Just like you. But you were, you were, you were from right here. So it, you have your communications degree from University of Louisville, right? Did you leave school with that, or did you come back to complete that after basketball? Yeah, I came back to get that. Um, when I when I graduated athletically, um, I was about halfway through my junior year academically. And, um, you know, I'd made the mistake that so many other athletes make by putting all my eggs into the basket of basketball and not doing what I was supposed to uh, in the classroom towards the end. So I'd always been a, a, a good, fairly good student. You know, my mom instilled that in me. But once I started smelling, you know, the professional aspects of basketball, I kind of let my academics slide. So in 2012, I went back and um, I jumped through a lot of hoops and hurdles and humbled myself um, to get back into the program, uh, Wade Houston's uh, Junior Bridgman's program that allows former basketball athletes to come back and finish uh, for free. Uh, and, and they didn't have to do that. And the university didn't have to honor that. But uh, thank God. Um, after several letters and several trips to different buildings and, and, and ex explanations, I was able to get back in and, and, and recover some of those B's and F's and change them to A's and B's and raise my cumulative GPA up and, and really finish strong. So 2013, I graduated. You know, I think sometimes athletes are unfairly criticized for not graduating in four years. I mean, if you look at the general student population, most people don't graduate in four years most people don't graduate and uh yeah. you know I'm one of those people I went for a couple of years and decided to take a semester off and guess what that that semester has lasted you know oh, yeah, 20 25 years almost so I think sometimes athletes are a little a little unfairly criticized for that yeah I would agree with you 100 percent, and that's kind of where you know organization former athletes now was born because it's really not fair for an athlete, you know, especially that plays at the University of Louisville. You can pick any sport now and ask them to commit equally to academics and athletics. First of all, in order to get to the level at the University of Louisville, you have to be a superior athlete where you come from. Um, and meaning that academics already are probably come secondary at, at, at best, you know, 50-50. And then you get to the University of Louisville, you have so many resources, but you only have 24 hours in a day. You, you, you use your body to excel in athletics, and then you have to get in the books, which, you know, I'd be the first to admit sometimes in class, you know, you sit in the back because you had practice or you had a game, and it's just tough to stay up. You know, to, you, you have all the right intentions. You get in that classroom, that, that air is moving through the room, that professor starts lecturing and then all of a sudden you're in la la land sleep. Sure. so um and then you know like you said unfairly criticized well other students see that um that may have seen you on tv or may read your clippings and see that you're excelling in athletics and and they may you know say that you know you you have an advantage and you're not taking advantage taking advantage of your opportunity academically which is a fair criticism but at the same time there's a lot of pressure to be great in athletics. So how do you, how do you balance that? Sure. Sure. And I was going to ask you about this later, but since you already mentioned it, let's talk about former athletes. Now tell us what that's about, why you started it and, and what the goals are of that organization. Sure. Um, well, we've had to take a break just due to COVID-19 and due to just 
trying to work smarter, not harder. And uh, really, it was just born out of the athlete that, um, like I said, had to put all the eggs in the basket of athletics or chose to do that um, because that's what their passion is. And then one day it comes to an end and trying to figure out a new passion that doesn't involve using your body to get or to fulfill that same level of passion. Um, what, what is that? How do you find that? And then once you realize what it is, who do you go to and what outlets, what resources do you have to get in those doors when you're competing, competing against those same students that didn't have to worry about athletics and were, you know, maybe getting internships, maybe, you know, getting better uh, cumulative GPAs because they only had to focus on that and whatever other college activities they chose to, to get into, that's, you know, it's difficult. So former athletes now was born out of, you know, how can I, with all the um, experiences that I've had and then being fortunate enough to get back in the doors of finance, you know, a, the essential business of real estate that you and I both are in and more than ever now realizing that our job is important. You know, people use homes as investments as they should, but they use them also for security uh, for their families. And how do we maximize and fulfill that same passion through something other than sport. Sure. So I still, I feel lucky. I feel blessed. I feel thankful that I had an opportunity to get in because, you know, I didn't know how to read a credit report. I hate, I didn't even like looking at my own. I didn't, my, my credit was terrible before I got into this business, you know, um, for tax returns, you want to talk about tax returns? I don't, I don't want to see tax returns. That's the same things that will put me to sleep in the, in the class <laughs> sure. and the teacher, you know, but those things are important. Those things are the foundation and those with experience know that. And if you're not taught that at a young age, or if you didn't have a family that was fortunate enough to own a home or to, to learn about credit or things like that, then how do you know, you know, I'd never had more than, you know, a thousand to $3,000 thanks to the Pell Grant prior to leaving the University of Louisville. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get a contract and it's $120,000, $140,000. Well, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to spend it. I'm going to do all the things that I wanted to do when I didn't have any money. Well, that's the wrong way to think about right. it. If you look at the big pictures and if you want to see yourself 10 years later as successful, you know, I didn't know that. I learned trial by error and through many mistakes that I made, and, and the, the fighter that my mom instilled in me, um, thankfully and luckily, I still have an opportunity through loan origination, not only to help people, not only to help myself and my family, but financially to, to come, you know, close to what I've seen as far as being a professional athlete. And, I, and I'm grateful for that. So let's talk about that a little bit, how you got into the lending business. I think a lot of people think that uh, if you are a former athlete here, let's just, we'll use University of Louisville as an example, just because it's basketball is such a big thing here. A lot of people think that if you played at the University of Louisville and you come back to the city of Louisville, then you're kind of set for life that you can just name what job you want and, and be successful. And, and people are going to come to you just because they know your name. Is that a, is that true? Or is that a, is that a rumor? I mean, it, you can make it true. You can make it true. The fact is, is that in your business, in my business, and in any career that you have, experience is king. 
you know, so you're going to have to put in some work to gain the experience that you need to build the trust. Now, will you get the initial opportunity because of what you did for the University of Louisville and many people that the many people that have love for the University of Louisville? Maybe. Yeah. But if you don't do right by those opportunities, then they're going to fade away as well. And this is a small town, Louisville, you know, so word travels fast and people remember you more than they remember anybody else that may have made a mistake on a transit on a transaction or may have, you know, not called them back exactly at 10 AM on Thursday morning, as you said, you would, they're going to hold you a lot more accountable. So that's a double-edged sword. So yeah, you may get the opportunity, but you don't have the experience. I had other lenders purely using experience against me to get deals. I know early when I started out and you know what, if I were them, I probably would do the same thing. You know, you're going to trust your $180,000 home to a person who's only been in the business for three months. Are you crazy? You know, that's, that's absolutely true. You know, so you got to gain that experience and you've got to work your tail off and you got to put those two to three years that it takes that people say it takes to, to, to gain that experience and to build that trust up with referral partners and, you know, others that you work with. And that takes time. So we as athletes, we're spoiled. That's the University of Louisville. We want it right now. We want it quick. So you got to have that girth. You got to be able to stand in there and you've got to have a good coach. Uh, and I'll give a shout out to Jason Kimmelgore because if it wasn't for him, um, I wouldn't be in this business. Uh, he brought me in. He, he coached me up and he, and, he, and he helped me understand that it takes time, even though people want to do business with me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can get you in the door, but you got to find a way to stay in the door, right? Absolutely. And that translates to every walk of life and every business. Absolutely work. Yeah. So, so talk about that transition into lending. Uh, you mentioned Jason Kimmelgore. Is that, is that who you started with? Absolutely. Jason had already always been a mentor, um, to me when I'd come back, he played ball as well. You know, he's, uh, he's one of the older guys that would, uh, try to rough up us younger guys, but also use us to get his exercise. And I, we'd love going at, he's a competitor. And um, I'd always, when I come overseas, you know, again, I have a lot of cash and I'm trying to figure out how do I, what do I do with this so that I can keep it in the future. And he would always give me sound advice. He would always help me. Um, and then finally, after I was done coaching, you know, I told him, you know, I asked him and his mortgage company for a sponsorship for something that I was doing for the youth. I was also selling my home at the time. And um, I asked him for advice and I asked him for a donation um, for the, 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 um, the community organization event that, that I was doing. And, um, he did both. Uh, he helped me with my home. He connected me with an awesome, uh, realtor. And he also coached me up with, um, just some, some, some ideas to help me in the business. And then he realized, um, after looking through the documentation that I had made for this event, man, you'd probably be good at being a loan officer. I said, what's that? He said, it's competitive. He said, you can make money. He said, you can help people. He said, you know, you could do it until you're 60 or 70 years old and you can have this office right here. And he showed me the office and I said, you know what, it's, this checks all the boxes. Um, I'm in. I said, what do I got to do? He said, well, you got to pass the test that most people don't pass until the third or fourth time. So he, he knew me. He knew that would. That That's would a challenge, right? A court. <laughs> he knew it would strike a chord in my heart. And um, I said, all right, I'm going to pass it on the first time. I'm going to show you. He said, yeah, right. Um, so then at that point I was determined, um, I knew I wasn't going back to JCPS as a teacher and a coach and I locked myself in the room. Um, and I studied and I studied and I studied and it was repetition. It was repetition. And, uh, finally 
um, I felt that he felt that I was ready to take the test after many quizzes and, and things that I was reporting back to him. And um, I took it, I passed it and um, got my license and, and, and there, and there she is. Well, you've got a, a couple things going for you. Obviously you're a great communicator and you've got that teaching background. I'm sure that really helps you in the, uh, in the mortgage business. So let's fast forward a little bit. You're at Interlink now. Uh, you're over there with a friend of mine, Bill Brewer. Interlink's a great company. Talk a little bit about them and, and what they offer that uh, other, you know, there's a million mortgage companies out there. What, what does Interlink offer that other companies might not? Sure. Well, um, Interlink uh, has been um, the biggest blessing yet so far in my professional career, minus the, the day I, you know, was able to walk in the door um, and the story I just explained with Jason. Um, but Interlink and Chris Squires, um, he's really been a mentor to me as well. He's been very accommodating to my needs, and he's just been great. And then the team, Bill, um, Todd, and, and Holly, and uh, my, my processing and operations team, when I found out the, the way that we operate on a daily basis here, and that would allow me to be out in the field and not have to necessarily worry about the minute microscopic pieces of the business that are very important. Just that I didn't, I would spend a lot of time doing if I had to do them myself. Sure. And, um, I was offered the opportunity to just go out and get loans, just go out and build relationships, just go out and, 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 and bring loans in and we'll help do everything else. And your client will be very well taken care of. And at the end of the process, they're going to feel like they didn't miss beat. The communication was there and they're going to have an awesome experience on time as agreed, which is our slogan. And I can attest to that having personally worked with, with Interlink on, on several occasions, they do a great job of communication and, and, uh, support. So, um, so what's your business look like right now in the midst of COVID-19? Has it slowed down? Has it sped up because of refis? What, what, what's going on there? Well, I don't have a lot of refi business just being, um, newer, newer in the business, but I will tell you that I, um, have had the best two, three months of my career and I'm shaping up to have an awesome finish to May awesome. and, uh, Ju June already I've got close to 2 million in my pipeline. So um, business has picked up. I've been forced to grow up, uh, working from home, not being able to run in Bill's office and bug him, uh, with questions that I have. Um, I've been forced to kind of grow up and just work on my own and, and figure things out, which has been another big blessing because when I start back June 1st here in the office full time, I'm probably not going to ask as many questions because I've learned a lot with being locked in at home. So it's just, it's just a big blessing. I mean, if I could sum it up in one word, it's a blessing. I've grown up a lot. Um, I still have a passion for helping others. And uh, when we get to the closing table and my client is telling me how awesome I did, how awesome my team was, um, that, that does something for me that has nothing to do with finances, that has nothing to do with um, personal uh, interest or business. It's, it's a passion. And that's, that, again, fulfilling that passion. You know, it's a 30 to 45 day process. You know, there are bumps in the road during that process that look like it may or may not happen. Then it happens and you get to the closing table and it's a huge relief. And then there's a celebration and then that deal is closed. And then you've got to find another one. Then you got to start that process over again. So 
that this is a never ending cycle, a never ending feeling that is going to fulfill me for a long time to come with the, with the, with the grace of God. It's a, it's a great feeling. And I share that with you, that passion. It's, it's, it's something, I don't know if people understand it if they're not in it, but, um, you know, like you said, you go through a lot of ups and downs throughout a transaction and it's the best feeling in the world when you can walk away from that closing table and everybody's got a smile on their face or keys to a new house in their hand. And, and, uh, it's just a, it's just a great feeling. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. You, uh, you've talked a little bit, you talked about former athletes. Now I know something else that's pretty important to you is the cabbage patch settlement house. You've, you've talked about that with me before. And, uh, I just wanted to give you a chance to, to maybe talk about that and, and inform people of the cabbage patch settlement house and, and what they do and, and how people might be able to support that. Well, as many, um, events and groups and organizations that I've been involved with and helping to give back to cabbage patch is one that I feel like one, I will never ever be able to fully repay them for what they've done for me. And I have not done as much as I want to this point. So, um, cabbage patch gives you the, gives you the feeling that, and which is mainly true that they don't really need a lot of help. They, they do things their way. They don't accept a lot of government or outside sources for funding. They have their own private funding and they don't, they're not a handout. They don't need, they don't, they don't do too much, you know, asking for handouts, but uh, what they did for me from age, let's just say 11 through age 15 or 16, really, really put me in a position to walk into Doss high school, spend four years there and come out with a scholarship to the university of Louisville. And there are so many great mentors uh, at the Cabbage Patch, some, very few are still there. Um, and the place has changed and grown tremendously since the last time I was there as a kid. Uh, but they still have the same mottos. They still have the same philosophies. And it's all about the youth. Um, it's all about structure. It's all about goals. It's all about experiences. It's all about respect and, um, and having fun. You know, so they, they find a way to equally balance all those things through, you know, team leadership, through um, I went on a canoeing trip to the to White River. I lost my life jacket after we <laughs> took a break. Um, my mentor, Rod Napier, he wanted to kill me. Um, um, you know, uh, I've, I've had uh, dance contest routines and talent shows and, and, and so many kickball, awesome experiences that um, – kind of again shaped who I am today that one day when I when I'm able um I'm going to really really do something um out of my way uh for the cabbage patch and again they've never asked me for for a dime or they never really even asked me for any more of my time it's just a personal goal that I have within um to be able to do something for them that 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 makes me feel like I at least did something you know for them that sounds like an awesome organization and your passion really shows through for that. So uh, hopefully maybe that's something that other people might be able to get behind and support. So, all right. So I'm a lifelong University of Louisville basketball fan. So we're going to talk some basketball now, if that's all right with you. Um, awesome. You know, we've all been stuck in the house for a few months and, and uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of negative things coming out around the university right now and we don't have a whole lot to get excited about so let's let's go back in time a little bit and talk about your years there you were there from 96 to 2000 is that correct 
Yes, sir. So you played for the the one and only Denny Crum, the legend, yes, the Hall of Famer. Now you you left right before Rick got there. Is that right? A couple of years before. Okay. Okay. So what what are some of your favorite memories about playing for Denny and some of the guys that that you played for? I mean, you played with guys like Dewan Wheat, Alvin Sims, Nate Johnson, Marcus Mabin, Reese Gaines, B.J. Flynn, a guy who I graduated high school with. So. You know, what What are some of the memories that stick out to you about your time there? Um, NCAA tournament time is a big-time memory for me. Um, learning from Dewan Weed. Dewan was like in high school, seeing him play at the University of Louisville. He's another one that made me, as soon as the game's over, I just got to go out. I got to play. I got to try guy. something that I saw from what Dewan Weed did. And then, you know, knowing that Alexander's, uh, was 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 on his way there, and Jason Osborne at the time was playing, and we had Samaki Walker, you know, prior to me being there, who I thought would be there when I got there at least one year, um, and so many other great players, Alvin Sims, and and it's just um, you know those experience with those guys, you know, taking trips to you know uh, um, Maui and Alaska, the Great Alaska Shootout, and um, just. Uh, having the Cardinal gear at my exposal and my disposal, you know, like I had never had before jogging suits, sweat suits, you know, the shoes, the hats and things that, you know, I would have died for before I got the scholarship, just living on campus, you know, same dorm that my uncle had lived in Stevenson hall and, you know, just, just growth and just being able to be free, you know, and, 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 and being an athlete for the university I'd always want to play for. I mean, those are, my experiences and you already mentioned playing for coach crumb. I mean, it's like playing for, you know, the, the nicest man in the world. Uh, but at the same time, one of the realest and, and the most knowledgeable guys. So, you know, you get the nice guy, but you also get, he'll, he'll tell you how he, how he feels. And guess what? He'll, there'll be some science behind it too, as to why it is he's saying it. So you, you, you know why, and then you give you an opportunity to work on it rather than to just beat you down and have you wondering, you know, what, what, what's going on. So that was, um, and obviously I come from discipline. So whenever I'm, I'm in a discipline or a structured environment, I, I always, I, I do better, you know, than when I'm just left, you know, free to kind of just do whatever. So that's, that was provided there. And then just college life period, you know, I mean, you're in Louisville, you're from Louisville and you play for Louisville, you know, so imagine, you know, just, some of the things, you know, just being able to go out and just kind of be acknowledged as one of the guys and then having a real role on the team, which puts you in a position to where, you know, you're, you're essential. I guess that word's been thrown out a lot right now. You're essential to the program. So that, that's just, that's kind of in a nutshell was my favorite pieces as to playing for, for UofL. Yeah. You were a thousand point scorer, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, now, now Louisville has quite a few of those, but there aren't that many guys out there who can claim to have scored a thousand points in Division One college basketball. So that's something that's something to be proud of for sure. Sure, thank you, Glenn. So along with Denny Crum, you had what Scotty Davenport was there at the time. Is that correct? Scotty Davenport um, still coaching. Great coach. Um, Jerry Eves. Yeah, Jerry Steve Eves. McCray, Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. I um, love know, Jerry Jones. Yeah, yeah. So I just I had an awesome support system while I was there. So all right. So I'm gonna, gonna call you out here and make you make you call somebody else out. Who who was uh who was the hardest player you went up against in practice every day? The hardest player I yep. went up against practice every day? Probably Nate Johnson. 
Nate Johnson, he, he's, I, he matches my intensity and probably exceeds it in many ways. He was freshman of the year, uh, Conference USA. Uh, he got a lot of accolades as a freshman, whereas I was sitting the bench a lot as a freshman. Um, I came in a little underweight, you know, and I wasn't quite prepared to play as a freshman like he was. And he all he knew, though, that I had as much fight. Um, so he would compete and I would compete and he would win and I would win. And um, there are many others, you know, having to practice against Alvin Sims, trying to get around him, try to try to go baseline around Alvin Sims. He, I mean, he, it ain't, ain't going to happen. Um, but there are so many others. But man, he could jump. Wanna, yeah, Alvin Sims. I I never seen anybody get off the ground as fast as as he could, man. Yeah, he busted a <laughs> pair of shoes like once or twice a week, so he had to keep new new shoes all the time because he he put that much pressure on those poor Converse um, that he he would have to trade them out like once to once or twice a week. Yeah, and he wasn't friendly to those rims either. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so, uh, who was who was the best college player you ever went up against? Best is probably Vince Carter. I mean, I had I had an opportunity to play against Vince, I think, twice in my career. And uh, he, he, I mean, his career speaks for itself. But to see him in person and to see what he could do above the rim uh, with the ball, it, it was it was quite intimidating. So he's he's probably at the top of my list as far as athletes that I, I was able to go up against. Now, what about professionally overseas? Does anybody stand out in particular? Mm, professionally overseas, uh, I ran into many, many uh, guys that had played in the NBA or either were uh, European that end up playing in the in the in the NBA. So um, that's pretty that's a pretty lengthy list. Uh, but at that time, you know, like you said, you're you're playing for your for your paycheck. So um, you know, it's mano y mano at that time. I don't really have any standout standouts. I did play with a lot of great players, and uh, so yeah. And I could go on for a long time talking to you about this, but uh, we'll kind of try to wrap this part of it up. And I know you're you're kind of close with Chris Mack, the new coach over there, and I, I think he's been very good about involving former players in the program. It, you feel pretty good about the direction of the program right now under Chris Mack? So, yeah, I think Chris Mack has done an uh, exceptional job uh, considering uh, what he came into, what he came in, um, what he inherited. Uh, a lot of the things uh, that he inherited, he's still having to deal with, even though he nor anybody that's still there had anything to do with what went on. And um, I really admire the way he keeps his head up and the way his, his eyeballs is always letting you know they're fierce, you know, and he's, he's strong. So we, I think we lucked out with getting a guy like Coach Mack uh, in a time that we came from. I think he's done an exceptional job recruiting. Um, I think that he is a coach's. He's a player coach, which means that those kids that play for him are going to want to run through a wall for him. And um, you know, if you anybody that's ever seen Coach Mack before knows that he can get fired up. I do think that I would help strengthen his uh, organization, but uh, he, <laughs> he, he, he disagrees. He thinks he's, he's just fine without me, and I, and I respect that. Um, but uh, the job he's done so far in a short amount of time, I think – COVID-19 was a little bit of a blessing for him um, just because uh, he, he still needs to stock his shelves a little bit better. And I think he's doing that right now so that the, the true team is his team and the true program is his program, um, you know, and that he can really show, you know, why he 
he's a great coach and that he can lead us to, to where, where we need to be. Sure. I would definitely agree with you. And something else that sticks out to me about him, as you can tell, family is everything to him. Yes. Basketball is, is important. And, and that's, that's the way he makes his money and that's his passion, but you can tell his family comes before anything else. Absolutely. I had the pleasure of meeting his wife, Christy, who's also a Louisville native, um, basketball women stand out. Um, and you know, she, um, she's as down to earth as they can come. Uh, one thing that I've learned in real estate, uh, when you're, when you're working with clients is that if you're working with a husband and wife, you have to find out quickly who the decision maker is. And I bring that up because when you meet coach Mac and how strong he is and, and how much fire he has, then you meet his wife, Christy, um, you realize very quickly um, and I hope Coach Mac doesn't hold this against me, but you realize really quickly who the decision maker is, at least in their household. And um, they have an awesome family. Um, I believe we have some of the same philosophies as far as family being at the top of the list, regardless of what else you're doing. And um, I agree with you. He does an amazing job of putting his family uh, priorities out there so that they come with him being the coach at the University of Will. So you're not surprised when you see his wife at a practice or his wife at his basketball camp out running drills and, and doing things like that. Or you see his kids running around, you know, through practice or the camp or through at a, at a game. You're not surprised because you know that that comes with Coach Max. So I think he's done an awesome, awesome job with that. Absolutely. I love that. And he's very down to earth, too. I've seen him. My, my stepson's a manager on the Silver Creek basketball team, and I've seen Coach at, at some of the games, and he's, you know, he's wearing jeans and a sweatshirt and sits with everybody and doesn't have any errors about him. He doesn't think he's any better than anyone else. So that, that's, that's a really cool thing. So, Tony, I know you're a bit of a foodie. So before we go, I'm going to ask you, once we're allowed to, and I, over here in Indiana, we we already are, you know, at fifty percent capacity. But once you're allowed to get back into local restaurants, what's the first restaurant you're going to hit up? Oh wow, that's a really good question, Glenn. Uh, to be honest with you, I I love my my next passion is 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 cooking and grilling and 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 doing it myself. I don't I've I've fallen out of love with the idea of someone else making my food, even though there are a lot of great restaurants. Sure. Um, I just feel like monetarily as far as saving money, I can do pretty much what anybody else can do myself. Yeah. I've seen uh, your pictures on social media and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that invite. <laughs> yeah, you'll get it. Um, and you use the word foodie. Um, I, I've been blessed uh, to learn about an awesome device called the Ninja foodie that I use um, to, to help make some of my food. And then I have a Weber grill. Um, that I got uh, a month or so ago. Uh, it's a, a kettle grill. And, um, you know, going to the grocery store and just seeing, picking out something that's raw in the package and my kids looking at the package, like, what are you going to do with that? And, and then turning it into something that they just love at the dinner table. Um, that's one of my passions as well. So I don't think that I'm going to be uh, first in line to run to a restaurant once we get the green light and once, you know, things are whatever they would consider back to normal. I think that this time has, again, shown me and made me understand, again, how important family is and how, how, how much of an impact you can make by sitting down at the dinner table 
and, and having an opportunity to look your kids in the eye, look your wife in the eye and talk about life with no devices, no distractions, no others around and, and, and do that over, over good food. And I think that's something important in families that has been a little bit dropped over the years. And um, that's something that I learned overseas, you know, Italy, they take four hour break every single day during the week. They all leave work around uh, noon and they go home and eat with their family for four hours and, and, and they call it siesta. Everything shuts down. I mean, businesses shut down and then they, and then they get back up at four and work for the rest of the day. That's something that really, really stood out to me because they're, they're really tight knit. And I think that has a lot to do with it. So that's... I'll be cooking at home more even when we things go back to normal. Yeah, that that's something I could get with eating Italian food every day for <laughs> for 4 hours. <laughs> well, here's something that I learned um that I, when I got my contract to Italy, that contract I told you the first one, I was so excited cuz I, I felt in my heart I was going to be able to eat shrimp shrimp alfredo every single day. Um I get to Italy and you I didn't find any did you? Alfredo in the in the restaurant and they look at me like I'm crazy. There's no such thing as shrimp alfredo. That's something that I think we might have made up. Um, they use marinara sauce and they use, you know, the same ingredients, but alfredo is is not real. Hmm. Um, and then I ordered a pepperoni pizza when I was in Italy. Um, so they brought the pizza out and um, it was a big cheese pizza full of uh, red peppers. Um, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> pepperoni, be careful because it's different than what we think. So this, this, you may have already answered my next question. I was, I was going to ask you if, if you had to go back and live overseas, oh, what man. city, what, what city or, or country would you pick? Hmm. It would be probably somewhere near Milan or Milano or Firenze, uh, which we know as uh, Florence. Or maybe somewhere in the south of France, uh, near Monaco, um, where the yachts sit up close to the you know city, and people live on their boats and then go in and shop and and live life and then get back on their boat and, and live. So it'd be a toss up between the south of France and uh, somewhere in Italy, close to Milan. Yeah, you got me daydreaming now. I'm ready. <laughs> well, I started to say I'm ready to jump on a plane, but I'm not so sure about that. Right. right. <laughs> Well, Tony, it's been a it's been a great conversation. I'm not going to keep you any longer. Is is there anything that we didn't talk about, or something that you have on your mind, or or something that you want to leave us with? Yeah, don't cut this out, Glenn. But um, you and I have not had a transaction together, and that's not your fault. That's not my fault. Well, I I say it is my fault because I got to work harder. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll take a little blame on that one too. But I would love to work closer to you and to Shula Bauer and to have a better relationship uh, with the clients that trust you and believe in you uh, because I have an awesome team here at Interlink and um, I would, I would, I would stand by any work or any, 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 any words that I said so that I could help your clients achieve their goals of home ownership. So um, one last thing would be, I would love to get some deals going with you and, um, and make that a routine that we do as to helping people and helping ourselves and our family. Absolutely, sir. And I, I share that uh, 100%. So, and I'll say this now, if you're looking to buy a home or refinance, give Tony a call at uh, 502-322-7737 or shoot him an email at 
twilliams at linkloan.com. Um, I'll post all his contact info in the show notes. Also, I'll mention this. If you're a current or former student, athlete, faculty, or staff member at the University of Louisville, you can save thousands of dollars when you buy or sell a home with Schuler Bauer and me. So give me a call, and I can give you details on that, or, or give Tony a call, and, and he can he can put you in touch with me. And uh, Tony, I just thank you so much for sent, spending some time with me today. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you for having me, Glenn. You too. All right, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Tony Williams with Interlink Mortgage and a special thanks to you for choosing to spend some of your time with me today. Please be sure to support this podcast by sharing it with your friends, hitting that subscribe button on your favorite platform, and maybe even writing a short review. Also, head over to Facebook and like the show page, Putting the Real in Real Estate Podcast, where you can also watch as well as my YouTube channel, Glenn Hockersmith Realtor. More importantly, Give me a call if you or someone you know is thinking of buying or selling a home. I would love to serve you. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day.